Alright, so hello everyone and good afternoon, good evening, good morning. That really depends on what time you're listening with this podcast. So we are back once again to talk about Philippines and its dimensions and everything in between. So welcome to Philippine Area Studies. For this special episode, we will be talking about, since in the past, in the previous episode, we've been talking about this sort of historical development, politically, economically, and culturally of the Philippines. And right now, we have discovered elements or some sort of uh, factors that really explain or really showed hindrances of economic or political development in the country. We've seen uh, these elements being repeated from time to time, like particularly during the Spanish period, and in the American period and in the Commonwealth period, these sort of actors have really taken their, let's say, role in the development of the political system or the economic system of the country. And right now, we will be discussing about them, about these individuals in detail. So this is why we are here right now. So that will be the essence of this topic. And with me together in this special episode, I am accompanied by... Uh, three of our three of my students. We have three guests for tonight, and they will be discussing in detail these mysterious characters. I believe you would know them as in the descriptions I've, I will be posting later on. But yeah, they will be discussing on these individuals and these characters or these actors, and how, where, or where do they fit in terms of the development or anti-development of the Philippines in its entirety. All right. So let me first welcome our guests, and, and they will be the ones to introduce themselves. All right. So, uh, James Kasky, you think you may start with introducing yourselves? Um, hello, everyone. My name is James Alexander S. Kasky. I'm a Bachelor of Arts in International Studies, second year student. All right. So, how about you, Jeff? And lastly, uh, of course, uh, save the best for last. Um, hello, everyone. Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, this is Jeff Borella, uh, second year ABIS student as well. Yes. All right. So, Jessica, are you there? Yes, sir. Hello. Good afternoon. Good evening, everyone. My name is Jessica Artagas. I am also a second year AB International Studies student. All right, so thank you everyone for introducing yourselves in the very brief way possible. So my question for you guys is that since we've been talking about development since the pre-colonial period up until uh, the Commonwealth period and even in, in detail of Marcos's regime, and there is still sort of hindrances or a barrier towards the development. And my question is, why is it very difficult, really, for the Philippines to develop as a country, as an economy, or in terms of politics? What are the hindrances that do you think exist that uh, that really restrains us into becoming what we consider as industrialized countries, or the NICs, or maybe even at least uh, developed be considered a developed status like, like particularly on uh, the cold war period we were uh i think we were very popular candidates really in this period in terms of development 
like this uh, sort of Marshall Plan version for Asia. We were uh, one of the aspiring candidates similarly to Singapore, Taiwan, and South Korea. But uh, it did not turn out as expected for the Philippines. And there are these things that are meddling in the way. So for you, as the ones who research regarding this topic, what do you think are the factors that hindered the Philippines into reaching a sort of a developed status or an industrialized status? Uh, for me, sir, there are many factors regarding poverty in the Philippines. Uh, first of all is the increase of the population. Um, as of 2020, we're already around 100 million. And in the Philippines, which are mostly beyond the middle class, meaning those with three or more children are those families living in poverty. We can see families up to 10 or 20 or 15. And it's because it's hard to raise a family with a little money, let alone those who are in the poverty line. So many of these children can't actually go to school or finish school. As a result, they can't get high paying jobs. And because of that, uh, many are jobless or many will continue this cycle and will have children in the future. And the cycle will go on and on of having many offsprings and not able to sustain or afford their living and well-being for the economy. And these numbers have increased to 4 million in 2000 alone. How much more now? And being overpopulated in a developing country can cause problems since the government could not afford all the needs and wants of 100 million Filipinos, let alone those in the poverty line. So, and with this also, it caused an increase of crime activity in the country. And the second factor is corruption. Um, it plays a huge factor in why the Philippines isn't developed, which will be expounded more by Chaska later. And um, most of the taxpayers' money, which are supposed to be used for development and community livelihood, are used by the peop- uh, by people in the government for their own agenda, causing cities, villages, and places hampering major developments that could happen if all taxpayers' money are put into proper use. But since this is not the case, uh, we can see many um, villages, barangays all over that's all over the Philippines that are not actually developed yet, even though there are. We can see growth already of businesses and um, agriculture in the sector, but there's still not enough growth in the barangay or villages. Most of these are being corrupt. Uh, most of the people and officials uh, in that area are corrupt. And lastly, there are major conflicts happening in Mindanao, causing major setbacks for investors. This happened also in the Marcos era, where investors in Mindanao have backed off because of the rise of communism. So. It took away for investors and business to flourish in the area, causing major damage to livelihood. And that is why Mindanao, especially in the autonomous region, have is one of the poorest of the poor in the Philippines. And because of war, there's also um, many people, and not only war actually, um, all around the country, there are people who can't afford accessible healthcare. And because of this unaffordability to pay for bills, it was also one of the major factors of poverty in the Philippines, uh, especially with major diseases. So if people are unhealthy, they can't be productive in the economy. And with most of the population being sick, obese, having pneumonia, dengue, and this can't be treated through if you don't have money. So especially those with many families to feed. So in the poverty line, it can't afford only 70% of all Filipinos has an access to safe drinking water. 
and having house the house programs in the country discriminates the poor you can barely see any aid programs of building a house for the poor in the philippines also there's also a poor education system in the country that out of 100 only 67 will remain in grade six after, uh, this is through my research this is due to the fact that there are a declining particip uh, participation in class uh, there's some there are many factors for this especially if a child a, a kid would know that his or her dad can't afford his college education in the future so if you're in the place of that kid who knows the situation of his or her reality you wouldn't want to finish your school in the first place because you would know that uh, you couldn't finish school in the first place so why waste money and time for them that's their perspective and we also have poor quality of education especially those in the far rural areas of the and poor regions in the philippines we have books that are not properly distributed or outdated and not all families can pay for school fees such as the uniforms and other school activities that cost 300 plus or 500 especially for books that are almost around 600 and last uh, also one of my factors that i have seen is the environmental damage the philippines is one of the most typhoon spoken country in the whole world being beside the pacific the environmental damage is another key factor to poverty in the philippines especially that we're also in the ring of fire and especially those who lose their homes from floods and storms that happens almost 9 to 12 times plus in the philippines per year with people losing their agriculture livelihood and the damages to repair their homes and buy new appliances can cost a lot of man a lot of money and Imagine if you have 10 kids to feed or five and you still have to pay taxes and so much more. And with the government not greatly focused on environmental disaster and preparedness, especially the common issue right now with Project NOAA, uh, uh, it's a new issue right now in the internet where it said that there was, there was supposed to be an environmental preparedness project, but the government didn't pay too much attention to it. And flooding is still a major issue for Filipinos who wants to have a better life. And plus with a dirty environment, especially being ranked as one of the hot spots with dirty air, too much carbon dioxide, and because trashes are everywhere, there's spreading. And as I connect to my topic earlier, uh, to my discussion earlier, we can see that these factors can lead to many diseases such as pneumonia. So these diseases can't be cured if you're in the poverty line because it costs hundreds of thousands of pesos to treat especially if you have cancer diabetes the insulin alone is too expensive and despite the growing number of banks in the country the poor barely has any access to financial assistance loan programs and financial security through banks since most banks discriminate the poor they only cater those in the middle class or those in higher position and the poor barely have any knowledge of how to use how how to function in a bank and the upper classes have more and middle class have more chance to go abroad and earn more while the poor are stuck in the philippines to where they are the middle class has a chance to change their life and the, and the rich can get richer while the poor just stays poorer and because one of also the the theme and factors around this is that the distribution of wealth and income is highly unequal and it is similar to those in east asian countries and resembling those in latin american countries we go we have low wage pay for workers that are not white collar jobs such as carpenters willsmiths 
plumbers compared to other countries such as those in the West that gives high pay. We have friends um, around the West with plumbing business or those who work in plumbing and and smithing that can send their school to universities. We also have people who, who are just cops that can buy cars and houses in the West that is not um, similar here in the Philippines. And second, a uh, recent episode of economic growth have not benefited the poor either absolutely or relatively, the quality of growth in the Philippines is inferior to those in the Asian countries. Because of the Marcos era, it has greatly affected our economy. We can see that during this era, our debt increased to other countries and our economy decreased. And as we rise through our economy in these times, it's not actually poor friendly since it only benefits the, the lower, I mean the middle class and the upper class. And poverty in the Philippines is fast acquiring an urban pace, suggesting that poverty is no longer just a rural phenomenon. This can be seen as there are many squatters or illegal settlers in the city or homelessness, making it harder to survive and it can cause more rising crimes. And lastly, in my uh, one of the last things that I see in my research is the disparity of living and standards between regions. We have neighboring regions and other regions of the country that can be seen that are only few developed cities in the country. Around Mindanao, you can barely see any. Uh, Davao is only one of the known cities in Mindanao, one of the few. And in the Visayas, it's Cebu. And in Manila, you have many known cities. But around the Philippines, you can barely see a lot of known cities. Um, it doesn't last up to thir- uh, 45 plus. And lastly, the poor trade liber- liberalization and and the globalization implying the efficiency may come of the expense of local jobs and workers' well-being since most of the workers in the country go to abroad, leaving behind those who are unprofessional or those who can't afford college. We have um, less professionals here in the country because of the chances abroad to to earn higher wages. And what's left is some Chinese workers, which is an issue right now in the news, have a get bigger chance of getting hired in the country compared to locals because of the liberal trade and globalization. It is also harder for local Filipinos to create a business to compete with since most of the businesses here are already from abroad, such as gas, Adidas. Um, if you are a Filipino who is poor, who wants to rise in the business arena, it's really hard to compete with this kind of businesses that are already too popular and that especially restaurants, we have Jollibee, McDonald's, KFC. If you're just a local man trying to find wages through your business in your own hometown, people would still prefer to go to Jollibee in the nearby block or McDonald's since these are also affordable fast foods. So what happens is businesses can compete with the globalization. Um, people would prefer to buy um, Lacoste, um, any kinds of products such as uh, Nike. So it's hard to make a business here in the Philippines because of the widespread of globalization that the locals can't already compete. So we're still stuck in this line. Um, that's all from my side. All right, so I'm back and it seems like I had problems with my internet connection. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. And the first thing I made a mistake actually, because like instead of pressing unmute, I actually pressed end call. Like it's really, it's really my mistake. Anyway, uh, 
it's a very interesting discussion that Kaski gave. It, it really highlighted that there are so many variables or uh, factors really affected the, the growth towards the economy. It, it even stemmed from the most basic uh, factors, like the population itself. Like we have an increasing uh, growing population and uh, the hardest, uh, the biggest hurdle present there is how to make these populations themselves being feasible of uh, to make them efficient for the workforce when there are so many problems like education, healthcare, and sex education, for example, are not even very efficient in the country. Or these certain ideas, even these progressive ideas, are even shunned and viewed as not fitting in terms of the culture. And also, also I, I like the discussion wherein uh, he mentioned that uh, some of the factors that affected the the growth of the country are are our inability to really uh, realize that uh, most of the policies that are for uh, that that promote international integration is not it's not that appealing to 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 the to the Filipinos, especially in the government, and at the same time, they are not even very much supporting local businesses. It's it's one of the biggest ironies as being a Filipino that I could really see in my personal perspective is that uh, there are so many critics towards the international system, or like for example, neoliberalism itself, and we are like well, if we try to criticize neoliberalism and it's and it's. Uh, deemed benefits as quote-unquote benefits but we do not really support the local level that's the biggest irony if we don't want to support the the free market and its interactions we must at least in our own way right be able to patronize our own local products when both of these extremes towards economic development are not present so it's really hard to say uh, uh, neoliberalism is just a big scam that is controlled by uh, controlled by the core states, which is uh, there are so many evidences and scholarly writings about it that, that prove to be uh, pretty much the case that it's an exploitation of the uh, developed class, the, the core countries to the developing countries or the periphery states. But we don't do our end in the national or in the local level because we still uh, we still view our own we our own outcome as as pretty much uh, uh, inferior to uh, imported products. That's, that's one of the biggest ironies really of, of Filipino is that uh, our nationalism is very much displaced towards things that are aesthetically pleasing or or vibrant, for example. We, we, we herald too much on, on pageantry and talent shows, but we don't uh, show our nationalism in, in other forms that also make an impact like that. Like uh, supporting the local economy, for example. It, it's not very present in the in the Philippine context. If you look at the businesses that are thriving in the countries, these are not local businesses. But if you look at if you ask their 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 uh uh what would you call that their their appreciation or how how neoliberalism or the free market helps in developing the country, they, they would still give you a negative impression about that. Like, like for example, in, in how we import more rice out, uh, than produce local rice. So we, we would quickly say that it's not a good thing. 
So why are we not supporting the local? That's that's the biggest question. Anyway, I'm not here to I'm not the one to discuss here. And there is also next part, right? Uh, it's it's another factor that will be expounded with Sheska, right? So share to us uh, what you have. Sir, can I add one more thing, sir? Okay. Uh, one of the major factors factors sir, uh, regarding overpopulation is also religion, since um, okay. most of the Catholic Church. Uh, are against the use of birth controls or contraceptives such as condoms um, hindering sex education too in the country uh, there was a wide debate and wide protest against this because of uh, religious beliefs and because of that um, also the belief of the church that um, we should um, multiply uh, as a family you know there's no so yeah this is also one of the factors here considering most of the filipinos are really devotees yeah, that's a, that's 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 of course that's very evident in the local politics. I, I agree with that. That their stance with reproductive health is pretty much very strong in terms of religious and Catholic dogma. And of course, we can. That's that's the normal expectations when we are considered as the the the, the Catholic country in Asia. What in terms of in, in terms of also really helping helping or creating a healthy population it's also one of the biggest ironies really in, in not supporting reproductive health in fact uh, even even uh proper birth birth control methods are 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 always seen as uh, a sort of a taboo right or uh, something that is somewhat strictly not discussed in public because it's something that is very private and i think that 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 should be changed Early. If they really want to be concerned about reproductive health and how they they wish to make it happen in a very Catholic standard, so they should at least be able to make it a, a, a discussion that is that is not uh, that is not cloistered, right, or something open, because it's it's there to not really control the population, but rather it's there to to make a population that that fits our economic uh, demands or struggles. Uh, but there, a good thing, a positive thing, in my perspective, and what I've seen is that how we sort of curve in terms of in terms of population growth. As in terms of demography, we are seeing more and more families that are having or preferring like two or three children uh, amidst the traditional and in, in terms of previous generations that are really five and above. So that's also a, a good. Uh, a good natural or personal choice really. since we don't really have an enforced reproductive health in the country we set to make it something normative or cultural that really depends on the uh, demands of the times but that's also a very good uh, note to consider All right so i think Cheska. so what is another factor that do you think really hinders the country towards development in general Hello, good evening everyone and to our listeners for today's discussion. Um, pertaining to the topic, um, another factor or another problem that the Philippine society is facing is corruption. So as we all know that corruption is derived from the Latin word corruptus, which means corrupted. In governing a country or a state, we all know that there are branches of power led by the executive, legislative, and judiciary. It is just an awful fact that these trusted positions abuse their power with the intention of material benefits 
which is not legally justified for itself or for others. The common causes of corruption are the political and economic environment, professional ethics, and morality. And of course, habits, customs, tradition, and the demography are also considered as common causes of corruption. Let us discuss the political and economic environment of the Philippines. The political and economic environment strongly influence the phenomenon of corruption. According to a research conducted by Suma, he found out that the that bribe is very possible that the more economic activity in the country is regulated and limited, the higher the authority and the power of official in decision-making and the greater possibility of corruption. Moreover, due to the very complicated system of the Philippines, as we all know, um, particularly of the ineffective and unclear regulations, therefore, natural persons encourage bribe in order to speed up bureaucratic procedure. The low-paid employees are, or the public administrations also are forced to receive bribes just to improve their financial positions. This is demonstrated also by Allen in their study where they find that corruption arises because institutions and agencies and the government can no longer control corruption due to under, underpaid officials, which is occurring especially in developing countries, including Philippines where we do not have sufficient tax revenue. However, he continues on that a higher salary also strengthens the negotiating power of the official, which leads to higher bribes. And he also states that on the basis of existing research, it is very difficult to determine whether a higher salary causes less corruption, which means that the level of salary is not a decisive factor, but merely one of many. Another factor of corruption is the lack of professional ethics and deficient laws regulating. Corruption as a criminal offense, the ineffective prosecution and sanctioning of the corrupts have a great influence to the increasing possibility of corruptive actions. Um, there are also, there were laws or regulations that were passed in order to prevent corruption. These are, or this is the Anti-Graft and Corrupt Practices Act criminalizes active and passive bribery, extortion, abuse of office, and conflicts of interest. Giving gifts, except for gifts of insignificant value, given in line with local customs, is prohibited. The legislative framework for fighting corruption is captured and is not effective, effectively enforced by the weak and non-cooperative law enforcement agencies. Um, corruption hinders economic development and services that are supposed to be offered to the public. So in order to prevent corruption or just to lessen corruption, there must be an exposure of corrupt activities that is occurring. The public sector must remain transparent and accountable and we must have motivated and competitive leaders. However, corruption is somehow very hard to combat. This is because the people who could have the power to end it can be the ones benefiting from it. I think that would be it. All right, so good thing I did not uh, click the end call again. 
All right, so that, uh, that's uh, one of the things really that, that resonates. So previously we talked about how, uh, on the first part, we talked about how uh, it's part of like, or how we are in- ill-equipped or unequipped in terms of transitioning towards developing. And for Cheska, I would also like to discuss a little bit and how it's pretty much uh, how we created a culture that is uh, that is anti-developmentalism or uh, anti-developing because of the culture is like a corruption and bribery. It's, it, ex- it exists not as a form of... of uh, uh, of, or rather an entity that is persisted or that is pushed but rather it's a it's something that is uh driven within the system it's something rooted as as how Duterte would like to reiterate no corruption is it's very much uh rooted although this is not ver- non verbatim but it's just something he said mentioned before that that it's uh, it's its roots are so grounded or so deep that it's hard to 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 remove or fix and and he's right in that part that we have created corruption in terms of something that is very cultural and very embedded in our system rather than making corruption as something that is easily fought because once it becomes part of our culture once it becomes part of our standard of living or how we see things in a certain perspective it's something that we don't we don't acknowledge and rather something we don't really seem to be bothered of fixing because it's part of the culture it's 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 there it's seen every day because if we talk about like bribery or or having like the fixer or corruption it's it's just like it's there it's present you see it you know it's wrong but why are we not doing anything about it not because of our inability to do something about it but rather we simply do not acknowledge it as a problem really we don't seem to to discuss about it as a problem we just see that it exists and like, oh, it's it's there we see that every day like, uh, a, a very common reaction i get online when we talk about when people talk about talk about uh corruption in, in social media they say that uh, corruption has been going on for many many years but why are but why have uh you not said anything about it in the past really like when they say uh when when discussions or criticisms about about corruption arose and usually the the government supporters would just say uh, it has existed for for many years and why now why would you say something about it now and, and that really uh in, a, in in my own in my own stand that really seems to be like uh, disheartening right it's like why would you say that it's a problem not addressing it now when you yourself was aware that it's a problem that existed before? Why haven't you even done something about it when you know you personally said said it yourself that it existed in the past? And and why do you think it? Uh, it's basically saying that uh, the problem existed and we were okay with it, right? So you should be okay with it. In, in, long run it's, it's it's very sad knowing how our standard really of, of development or progress is pretty much not like like how other people would see it, uh, other countries would see it uh, in terms of in terms of like new zealand and, and south korea although like south korea is, is not a, it's not a state that is free from corruption and all but at least uh, public participation really demands for it and they would really say something about it but in terms of the philippines we just that it exists and 
and tolerate it. That's really one of the saddest qualities of being a Filipino. It's our uh, ability to really be... Well, Filipinos are not dumb. We know what's right and wrong. We know how to see corruption and, and whatnot. But it's we just like, agree that it's part of the system and we don't... Yeah, that's it. We we don't really want to put an effort in change. We don't want change. That's the, the saddest thing. And we just like we just love the tradition. We just love the the culture, and we are we don't want to experience the effort of driving change for the betterment. All right. So thank you for that, Jeff, and also to to the other presenters. So you have actually discussed uh, the so many uh, variables, or rather. Uh, How would you consider it um, qualities? Not really qualities, but uh, yeah, factors. Yes, the word I'm looking for is factors as to why the country is is also trying itself to transition transition towards a developing state. Although since we're examining this in a very uh, national or local or internal perspective, there are still other factors that affect us externally. Which will be also discussed in the other topics or the other groups. But for now, we're talking about the internal factors that really makes the Philippines struggle, struggle for its ascent towards uh, development. Although I'm not saying that external and internal factors are basically the only factors that exist. And, and, and some scholars would even argue that it's not the internal factors, but rather the external factors or like how the system is created to benefit the poor states. So it's still it's as valid as it is. But in the internal perspective, these factors are valid as well. Because in, in reality, we are <clears throat> we are creating a system that in itself does not uh, promote the certain ideas for development. Like for example, like these ideas should be universal. Like uh, it doesn't really uh, focus a lot on it being about dependency for example or or the fault of of the uh, developing states why uh, corruption is pervasive in the country in the Philippines there are so many local factors that affect it as well so i'm not saying that it's the on- it's only the local or the internal factors that hinder us towards development because these these perspectives are also viewed equally as well especially in the lens of international relations But yeah, to, to make to make it to make a balance between these, it's important to discuss why internal factors play a huge role towards the underdevelopment or un, uh, its hindrance towards development, as well as the external factors. So for now, we really discuss uh, in, in so in the existing realities from a, from a, <clears throat> from a cultural standpoint from a. From a statistical standpoint and of course in terms of a very political standpoint we have created cultures we have created norms we have created realities that are very anti-development or un- very uh undeveloping for example uh like as mentioned by jeff what that corruption exists in the country not because this is something that is promoted underground but rather even Corruption is even to the extent displayed by by everyone or by the politicians themselves. Like the politicians in this country are not afraid of 
of running for another office even if they're found guilty of corruption so that in itself really really speaks uh, waves in terms of how really the Filipinos value uh, local and national politics and <laughs> these politicians themselves who are even even uh, convicted of corruption graft and pl- plunder are even able to win elections so so this really shows us a, a very bleak and very depressing picture about Philippines in terms of politics in our culture of politics it's, itself because we we tolerate so really it's uh, uh, corruption is not done in secret it's not done underground it's it's displayed and and executed with pride in fact the politicians themselves are really 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 would try to use that for their advantage and you don't i don't really need to give you in uh, specific details about it because a quick google search about uh, corrupt politicians in the country will really show that their their corruption is not done uh underground and in fact uh, this is this is seen as uh, a political stunt or to gain more popularity uh, particularly on how they're able to manipulate the justice system especially when it favors them as them as the ruling majority right so we have created these certain relics we are we as the participants of 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 politics in the country have created this culture of anti-development yes i would try to try to create it in a, or try to visualize it because we are we are really neglected in terms of participating actually in politics it's easier for us to say uh be quiet or it's easier for us to say uh you don't know anything or it's easy for us to say that uh you're uh Uh, you're no politician so why would you get involved rather than speaking in detail and criticizing the the bad deeds done by our politicians really like that so my question my last question for you guys is that <clears throat> uh we know for a fact based on how uh, based on what you presented that uh the realities that exist that make us underdeveloped is pretty much rooted in everything we do especially in how we participate in politics. So for you, uh, for you personally, <clears throat> uh, how how would you try to encourage really those uh, neutral participants? Because when we talk about partisanship, they're really pretty much convinced with with their politicians that they're the good guys. But for those who are still, still questioning whether or not uh, we should participate in politics or not, really, What, what would you say to them or how would you convince them that it's very very important to really have a say and be informed about local and national politics in the country yeah so anyone can answer that question i would summarize I am, it again i am I mean, um yes yeah, sir uh, I'm, i'm quite happy to see on facebook recently and also in twitter Um, regarding uh, activists um, or people or the youth voicing out against the government, especially now in the new typhoon that has hit the country, um, we can see many people voicing out. Where's the president? I mean, these things didn't happen before when Yolanda struck, and right now you can see young generations, um, more people trying to voice out um, for the country, um, trying to find um, what are the messes in the government trying to seek better solutions, seek better accountability. 
um, than just going with the flow with what corrupt or incompetent leaders say or officials do. Uh, and this, uh, this butterfly effect is causing a stir in social media that I have never seen before in all my life in social media. <laughs> um, as you, uh, since most of my friends, most of my colleagues, most of the people that are in FB in my timeline are sharing their political views and beliefs. Um, and this is not uh, this is not practiced in um, other generations mostly, especially those um, boomers, you call them, or those are 40 above. You barely see them posting uh, a political statement in the internet. And it's good that young people are using these instruments to voice out against corruption, to voice out against accountability. And um, these politicians are afraid. Uh, these politicians are can see that how internet is a great influence in their um, in their image. So if we keep voicing out, and this encourages um, people to create a better Philippines, to create a better city, a better village. If we keep voicing out on the internet about the mayor, about um, different barangay officials who are incompetent, if we keep doing this day by day, um, if we keep encouraging other people to join in in this rally and to <clears throat> to find better accountability for their actions to find better solutions um, in the long run um, politicians can see that their image in the internet matters also uh, how the public sees them so as a result um, politicians also try to do their best to uh, to to qualify for the people voicing out to to gain the public support so in short, uh, because of our voice and the internet, because of the youth voicing out day by day, uh, regardless of how many bashers come in, regardless of the trolls and the internet or the boomers red tagging young people for being terrorists for just voicing out internet, even if they're not, um, this causes an uproar. This causes a huge spike of change in the country since um, we are the next voters. We are next. We're the next generations of this country, and if. As young as 13, as young as 14, voicing out against the government, that's already a huge, a huge thing, really. Uh, since um, the moment we graduate, the moment we have jobs, um, we are the next people who will choose presidents, who will be choosing the next mayors to govern the country. And because of our background uh, on this, because of our stand on this, because of our views on this, you know, widening our perspective, getting more information, since the more you post, the more you voice out, the more you are interested, the more you are, um, the more you want something to change. You, the more you want change to happen. I mean, so because of this, uh, it encourages actually more people to voice out on social media, Twitter, Instagram, all platforms necessary. And because of people voicing out, uh, democracy is actually being used in the country compared before that. You need to go to rallies. It cost a lot to voice out before to be heard by millions. But right now, it's just a click of the hand at home using your cell phones. So you can really see that um, if young people keep doing this, if young people keep encouraging the other young people to keep doing this, there's actually a bigger hope for the country for a bigger chance of change. You know, um, since when we elect next leaders one day, because of our background of watching political views, political debates on the internet, um, it gives us a wider spectrum. Hey, we won't vote for a person just dancing on TV, or hey, um, this person has, this person running for office has a background of um, corruption or has a background of dynasty in his name. We should find someone who is more competent. You know, these mindsets would kick in in a person's mind if uh, he or she keeps doing this day by day. So, 
uh, that really is something for me, uh, something that could encourage a major spike of political uh, voices in the internet, political changes that can affect the whole country in a spectrum since this all, these voices don't only spread in Cebu but all around the world, uh, or I mean all around the Philippines. And if not, it can cause um, international um, international attention. So this can be worldwide too. So the more we keep doing this, then the more changes changes that can happen, the more we can solve corruption, oligarchy systems, and um, cronyism in the country. So uh, since we all demand for more accountability, a more country, uh, more better country, since we are tired of the young people, I mean, are tired already of this system in the country. Um, you know, if uh, we want a better future for ourselves too. Uh, since we're going to be the next generation that will take place um, after the next generation would retire. Um, we want a better city, we want a better community. So that's it really. Right, so great uh, message from Kaski, right? That uh, the youth must also empower their cool youth because the others won't. Yeah, that's really the, uh, the case in the realities of the country. So I really applaud my my the next uh, the generation after me that is the gen z in how they are very much uh very much active in their political participation regardless if they're told or bashed they're young enough to understand local politics i mean the millennials were also faced with that backlash before and we really did not uh yeah we really pretty much heeded what our our elders say what uh it's in terms of millennial participation really the millennials are looking up to the days and how how <clears throat> how active they are in, in participating in local politics taking stand with the system and how understanding regardless of how young they, are, they have take or they have a role in local politics and that's a really good uh view or a sight to see especially for the people who will be responsible in maintaining the system or the status of the country in the following year. So me as a as a, a late millennial, being the last of the millennials, really look up to the next generation because I'm not saying that uh, the millennials really did nothing because we were basically just at the end this uh, at the end of what the boomers tell us and we don't really. Uh, speak as vocally in terms of what the Gen Z's are doing today. So keep it up, younger generations. I really believe a lot in your, your speeches and your participation. It really shows that this is something that's very essential and should be tackled. So how about the others? What do you think is, uh, uh, what do you think should be done that would encourage those who really don't want to participate or have nothing to participate in um hello sir just in addition to what Cassie have discussed um we should also be um we should be politically involved most especially now that our country needs solution particularly to visible solutions we must use our platform to voice out and influence other youths because we have the power to change for a better future by encouraging other people to have better better visions. We must be sensitive to be to the happening and problems that we are facing. What we have awfully experienced today must not be experienced in the future generations and we can change it by properly choosing our leaders and our opinions matter. Thank you. 
All right. So thank you for that, Cheska. So additional message to what Kathy also added. So how about you, Jeff? Um. Okay. Um. I'm not that influential, but if you hear me, please do hear me. Uh, it's not a bad idea to do a 180 or turn your back against your political beliefs, your opinions, if it's overshadowed by facts or by reality. The people, uh, the government is an essential component and not a fan group. So stop defending incompetence and tolerating injustices where we deserve better as citizens of this country who pays taxes, who works up from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. perhaps just to finish our work, to feed our families. So we should not be fanatic of any politician. Rather, we should root for our own betterment as a country or development as a nation. So if you're do, actually doing it, you're actually doing it wrong if you continue siding with your politicians even if they're wrong, if they're doing it wrong, they're incompetent, or they're not doing the right things that would benefit for our improvement. So we should be bounded by facts, statistics, experience, and not on sentimental value or influence or statement of any politician. For example, when we're when during the time where I, I don't know if I will, I will say this, but okay, let's use the Dolomite issue. The Dolomite issue is actually very controversial. The D, um, DNR keeps on pushing that it, it's safe. Okay, it's safe, but it's science tells us that science tells us otherwise, that it's not safe for the ocean, you know. And a lot of people actually defend those who are those who plan for this project, that it's good, that the rehabilitation is actually good, it's good for our mental health, defending it with shallow reason with those who are actually in the, in the surface. So it's probably a lesson for us that if we're confronted with these facts, these um, these kinds of these kinds of uh, should we say uh, should we say this these kinds of realities um, let's not waste time we could probably just turn our backs to our political our political beliefs and you know go for the ones that are actually good the ones that are actually aimed towards our betterment as a society and not just for the politician agenda. That's it. All right, so thank you for that very uh, informative answer also, Jeffra. So it really shows that uh, it, we should not be, we should not treat our politicians like celebrities right that's the biggest uh irony that we are our participation also like the culture of our participation is treating them like uh uh people that we should uh look highly upon when they should be public servants in in reality like from the word servants itself and that's that's also some uh, one one word we miss a lot because we treat our we we look To them in a higher position and uh, we treat them as our masters rather than our public servants yeah that's it that's it so that officially ends our discussion and podcast episode so we have been 
discussed with very informative and very uh, significant and even something very personal with us because these these realities that my students or what they have researched really shows or creates a picture of how us as it it's in everyone it's in every one of us because the culture exists that the culture culture still persists that uh, there are certain realities or there are certain practices that really affect our politics in general because of our our uh, inability not really necessarily inability but rather our our uh, failure to acknowledge to take a to take a stand or take a take a role or participate at least inability to or our not not inability because that doesn't mean we we can't but rather uh, our lack of political will so that really shows how how much we need to or our, how much effort we still need to exert in terms of at least giving our our political system or our political culture a sta- a chance to make it as as challenging and as as assertive as it is so i hope that this could be something that we could benchmark on and we could also see positively in the future i really have high hopes for the gen z generation to really make a stand in terms of local politics and that doesn't mean that i personally as a millennial would stop talking about it to stop talking about uh, politics itself so yeah, my message mainly for the millennials and gen z's is that uh it doesn't matter what partisan politics you align to but rather at least you participated it with credible and with uh how do you call that uh, i'm looking for this word uh arbitrary uh participation where we base our participation and our support for politicians through facts and actual works rather than emotional or affect uh affective support we should really focus on politicians as people who need to do or who need to create uh outputs for us but rather and not uh, something that would perform for us that would make us feel emotionally secure because that is not the role of politics because we have a lot of those people and showbiz already and yeah that's it for my for our discussion and i think we already gathered a lot of time but this is a very good and very interesting topic nonetheless so thank you everyone for listening so thank you uh, my my guests for this evening for sharing what you have researched and what you have understood in terms of the realities of local politics in the country and in in our uh, ascent towards development and for those who are listening to my students for IS4 or Philippine Area Studies so keep up your local participation or your personal participation in local politics and for those who are listening because they stumbled into my podcast for I don't know what other reasons why. So I hope you all would also see this as something that would inspire you personally to at least pick up the the phone and use your voice to make a, to make a difference. So thank you everyone and 
this is it for our podcast episode. Stay safe and stay healthy. So have a great night.